want to take just a minute and share an exciting update about some next steps for our church family uh, that are coming up over the next several weeks in regards to the way that we're going to continue to gather and in some new ways that we're going to gather in the weeks ahead. And so, you know, I was thinking this week about what a significant week this is for us. I don't know if you've made note of this yet, but it was exactly one year ago this week that COVID really didn't just begin to shut down our city, but began to shut down our nation. And so I don't know if you remember where you were last year on March 12th, but I remember uh, March 12th that morning, we, we sent out an email to the whole church uh, early in the morning. We said, hey, uh, maybe you've heard about the effects of COVID in the city, but here's our plan. We're gonna try to meet on Sunday and here's what we're gonna do. And it was this like bold, like joyful, like confident email, here's what we're gonna do. And then about two hours later, we sent another email, and we're like, scratch that. Um, things are not as we thought, and uh, the, the rules in the city have changed, and our venues have reached out to us, and we're not going to be able to meet this week. And, and I don't know how you felt when you received that email. I remember how I felt when we had to send it, just this thought of what is happening. And never in my wildest dreams did I imagine a year ago that that email would lead to a year that has looked so wildly different from any other year uh, that we've had. And, and that email certainly didn't end us meeting together as a church, but it certainly shifted the way that we've met as a church over the last years. We've met online, as we've met in at-home gatherings, as we've met in smaller groups and house churches and parks and apartment complexes and everything in between. It's just been this, this wild and yet at the same time, beautiful year. God's been in the midst of all of it. I'm excited. In a few weeks, we'll share our ethos stories, kind of our annual report of what God's done amongst us in the midst of such an uncertain year. And I can't wait to share that with you. But as I was reflecting back on the, the last year and all of the uncertainty, uh, I thought about this kind of leadership decision that we've had to make and remake several times throughout the past year, but it's one that we made almost a year ago exactly, where we said, hey, in a moment of such uncertainty, how do we as a church live with a high level of predictability? And stability, like when everything's changing, you know, our schools are changing, our jobs are changing, uh, your family's ability to gather for Christmas was changing. It's like everything's been so uncertain, so unstable. How do we create some rhythms as a church that have some predictability and some stability? And whether you've liked these rhythms or not, that's one of the things we've tried to do week after week. On Sunday morning, show up at 10 a.m., say, we're going to be together. On Sunday nights, come together to pray, and lots and lots of things in between. And before I kind of share some next steps with you, I just want to take a moment to just say thank you. I've, I've told so many other pastors in the city and beyond this year that I can't imagine having the joy of serving another group of people more than the joy of serving you. Um, you all are unbelievable. You're unbelievable. The, the, the way that you've not just survived the last year, and I know maybe you're sitting there and kids are calling all over you right now and the dog is barking and you're going, I am surviving, just surviving. I go, no, uh, you all in the midst of a crazy year, um, God has been amazing in you. And it's been so incredible to watch our church in the midst of such an unusual year, not just survive, but thrive. The way that you've lived generously towards each other, the way that you've served the city with just this radical sense of purpose, the way that you've adjusted to new ways of gathering and doing life and doing church. And you've been so flexible. You've been so amazing. And just from the bottom of my heart and from uh, so many of your leaders here at Ethos, I just want to say, man, we love you. And I just keep thinking these words out of Philippians chapter 1 where Paul says, I thank God every time I think about you. And uh, that's just one of my morning prayers as I imagine your faces, as I think about standing in our venues, as I think about things that we do together. When I think of you, I thank God. And he goes on to say this. He says, in all of my prayers for you, I pray with joy because we have a partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm confident of this. Listen to this, Ethos. I'm confident in this, 
that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, listen to this, until the day that Jesus returns. And I've just thought about this so many times in the uncertainty of the year to go, man, there's a lot of uncertainty, but what I'm confident in is in the midst of all of the uncertainty, we can bet on Jesus, we can count on Jesus, that what he started in you, he's gonna complete what he started in us, he's gonna complete, and that generosity of the Lord's not gonna run out, you know, in 2021 or 2022, it's gonna carry on as long as we walk faithfully with him until the return of Jesus. And so, I just wanna say thank you for just a second before I share uh, some exciting kind of next steps. You know, uh, we're in a moment where our city is beginning to open up a little bit more, the numbers are beginning to drop, uh, some things are beginning to shift. Schools are beginning to open, um, which is which has been amazing to see some of those things. As spring is coming, things are beginning to spring back to life just a little bit. And this is going to impact us as a church family in some in some wonderful ways. Um, not just our church family, uh, but our city and the venues that we meet in or that we used to meet in um, are be beginning to be impacted by the moment that we found ourselves in. So as, as we look toward Easter together, which is coming up in just a few weeks, I, I want to just let you know about several important things about how we're going to continue to gather and some new things that are going to begin starting on Easter Sunday. So uh, as you prepare for Easter, there's three ways that we are going to celebrate as a church family. So the first way is like we've been doing for the last year. Um, we're going to continue to have the live stream. And so if you want to invite some friends over for brunch, you can all get dressed up because it's the only day of the year where our church dresses up. But I'd encourage you to get dressed up, invite some friends over. If, if you don't feel comfortable getting in a larger group, uh, get people over in your home. Invite your neighbors over. Eat brunch. Um, uh, tune in, worship along. Don't watch, but worship along with the live stream and see what God is going to do on Easter Sunday. So we're going to uh, continue that, not just on Easter Sunday, but in the days and weeks and months to follow. The second option is for those of you that are part of an at-home gathering or a house church, uh, your house church, your at-home gathering is going to have uh, the, the opportunity, if you want to keep meeting on Easter Sunday and even in some of the weeks beyond, for you all to make that decision, uh, for your leaders to make that decision, that's going to be an option. And so on Easter Sunday, maybe that's going to be your plans where you'll dress up and you'll show up at your at-home gathering or you'll get together in a park and you're going to worship Jesus and uh, do as you've always done. So those two options, that's what we've been doing the last year. And you're going, why all of this for those two things? Well, there's a third option. And we're going to start on Easter Sunday. We're really excited about this. Is the opportunity for us to begin gathering in some larger settings uh, on Sunday mornings for worship, communion, and live teaching. And so on Easter Sunday, uh, we're going to be at the Cannery Ballroom at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And the weeks following, we're just going to uh, begin that rhythm in person on Easter Sunday. And assuming that the numbers keep going the direction that they are and the city keeps moving in the direction that it is, we're going to meet in person starting on Easter Sunday. We'll have that option to meet in person at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're going to we're just going to start in that one place, in that one location. It doesn't matter if you're a part of our Hillsborough Village family or our Marathon Music Works family or our Cannery family. We wanted to have an opportunity for us to ease back in to some of these larger gatherings together. And so um, over the next uh, days and weeks, we're going to share information about what those gatherings will look like, some of the, the changes we're going to have to make, some of the precautions that we're going to have to take. But we're excited because uh, there's an opportunity for uh, us to get together. If you're healthy, if you're able, and you're willing to do that, we'd love for you to be a part of it. So as we look at Easter, I want to just encourage you right now to start thinking about who are the people in your life that you want to invite to join in with you, uh, to join you for the live stream, to join you in your at-home gathering, or to join with us 
uh, at the cannery at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your adaptability. Thank you for your faithful per perseverance. And I really do believe that the best days are ahead of us by the grace of God. And so I'm excited uh, about this next step, just kind of this next thing that we get to be a part of together. So I want to pray for us as we get ready to receive the Word of God together out of Genesis 3. So Father, I love you. I thank you for the way that you have walked with us over the last year. And God, we hold on to the truth that what you have started, you will complete. You will keep working on us until the day that we see Jesus face to face. God, thank you for that truth. Um, God, right now, would you fill every home with your presence? Um, would you fill every heart with your love? God, would you open our eyes and our minds and our lives to the truth of your scripture? And would you prepare us for the joy of Easter that's coming. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Man, that's so exciting. Thanks for sharing all that, Dave. Uh, man, I'm, I'm super excited about um, our time in the Word this morning. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. Um, open your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Um, and, and I want to encourage you to do this. You know, I just, I feel like there's something about this series that is, is just really important. And and I want to encourage you, even if you're not a note taker, to, to take notes, like right now, to, to get up from where you're sitting. Maybe it's in that recliner, or maybe you're sitting on the floor, and just get something to write with. And, and here's the reason why. I've, I've found that so often that with the best of intentions, I'll kind of sit passively, or sometimes even engaging, and, and wanting to listen, and wanting to remember. Um, but then you get a few days away from it, and you kind of forget what God was doing. I think about, you know, when I go to the grocery store, my wife will send me with a to-do list, and I always write it down, right? Because I don't want to come home and, and not forget, and not remember things that she asked me to, to get. And so I, I'm just thinking about, man, that, that there's something about these words that God has something for us. And I encourage you to write it down, to, to really lean in this morning and to listen to what the Lord um, has to say to you. And so Genesis 3 is where we're going to begin. You know, um, today it's a little bit of a different teaching. We're going to be talking about our enemy. And you're like, what? I thought this was a church that talked about Jesus. We are going to talk about Jesus. But, um, but I was talking to Will, you know, our worship pastor earlier this week, and he was just asking, you know, for songs, like, hey, what are we going to talk about? And I'm like, the enemy. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, I've never heard a, a teaching on that before. And and, and there's something that is, that, that as we talk about the enemy, that's a little bit like, well, why are we doing that? And, and here's why I want us to, to understand what we're doing today. We're going to, we're doing this to, to study our opponent, um, to, to learn about our opponent. And so when I was in high school, I played football. And one of the things that we would do is, you know, football games are always on Friday night. And then, you know, you'd have the rest of the weekend, you go to class on Monday, and then um, on Monday, right after school, we would go to our locker room, and then we'd go into the coach's office, and we, and we would watch film. And we would watch video, and we weren't watching the, the videos and the film of, of our game the past week. No, we were, we were watching the, the film from the team that we were going to be playing on Friday, the upcoming Friday. And, and the whole idea behind it is that, man, we wanted to, to study our opponents, that, that we would watch this film so that we could learn what defense they played. And, and we would watch film to, to learn about their, 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 their good players, who, where were their strengths and where were their weaknesses. And, and we did this so that when we got to the field on Friday, we were prepared. So that when we, when we stood up at the line to call the play, we could recognize the defense and we weren't caught off guard, that we knew what play to call so that we could score and ultimately win. Now, in theory, this is the way it's supposed to work. Our team was pretty terrible. And so, you know, I wanted it to work like that. But, you know, when, when I look back on my career, that's not how things played out at Calvary County High School in Murray, Kentucky. But, but I was thinking about today and, and I go, man, we're, we're going to study our opponent. And I invite you just to, 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 to think about, man, we're sitting now, we're going to watch this, we're going to watch, we're going to study the enemy. And we're doing this for, for really three reasons. And, and here's the three reasons that we're going to jump into today. So that we could recognize his activity, so that we are prepared to resist him, 
And the third thing is until Jesus ultimately defeats him. And I'm so excited to jump into this. And so, you know, to kind of put today in context with our, our bigger series, if you were with us last week, we jumped into, uh, began a series that we're calling the Gospel of the Kingdom. And for the next eight weeks, nine, including today, we're gonna be tracking in, in this series. And what we're going to be doing is, is we're gonna be looking at, at how the gospel you know, this, this word that we talk about a whole lot in church, and the reality is that, that most of us have no idea the depths and the richness of what is packed in that word, how this idea of gospel, it didn't originate with Jesus. You know, so, so often we, we open the Bible and we get into Matthew and we see gospel, but the reality is this idea of gospel, it starts in the very beginning of the Bible. And it's like a thread that weaves its way all throughout the scripture, Old Testament into New Testament, all the way to the very end of the scripture. And so what Dave helped us begin uh, last week is to defining what this idea of gospel is. And so if you were with us last week, you know, gospel wasn't this word that Jesus invented. It was a word that, that Jesus used. It was a word that was around before Jesus. And, and, and here's what the word gospel meant. It was a, a royal announcement, a declaration made by a king. It was just a declaration of, of who a king was, what a king had done, what a king was going to do. And so last week, if you're with us, we started in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, and we looked at this idea that, that the very beginning of the story, this, this gospel of the kingdom story begins with a loving father. We talked about how the very, this, this loving father, how he, he creates this man and this woman, and he gives him authority to, cre to, to care for his creation. And, and only if you have authority can you give authority. And so what we learn is that our, our, our God is, is this loving father who's also a king. And so today, you know, we're going to, to move into the second week of our series. We're going to be looking at this idea of a hate-filled enemy. But we're not just going to be talking about our hate-filled enemy. We're going to talk about the hope-filled promise that we see here in Genesis chapter three. So I know that's a big intro. Thanks for hanging with me. Um, we're gonna just jump in. And so the first idea we're gonna look at today is that, that we're studying our opponent, the enemy, this hate-filled enemy, number one, so that we recognize his activity. And so this is what Genesis chapter three, verse one says. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. And so right off the bat, you know, we jump into Genesis 3 and we have all these questions, you know, like who is the serpent? <laughs> What's his name and, and where did he come from? And I was just realizing this week, you know, that the scripture is, is just like every other good story in so many ways that, that we're not told all the details right at the very beginning. That just like in every other book, I man, the deeper that you get into the story, the more details that, that come to you. But, but, but for today, man, what I want us to understand is that the serpent is Satan, he's our, is, he's our enemy. And so you see this in Revelation chapter 12, verse nine, where the scripture says that the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And so it doesn't tell us here in Genesis three that it's Satan, but we know the deeper in the story that you get that this is Satan. Second um, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Paul tells us that, that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And so literally he puts on this costume that he pretends to be something that he is not. And so here in Genesis chapter three, it's Satan, it's, it's our enemy, and he's masquerading as a snake, as a serpent. And so we're not gonna go into to detail about um, man, how he was created, but it's important for us to know right from the beginning that our enemy, Satan, that he was not there in the beginning. That he wasn't the creator. It wasn't the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and Satan. No, that, that Genesis 3 wants us to understand that he was a part of creation. 
And it's important for us to understand that he's an actual being, okay? So the loving father creates this world, right? Genesis 1 and 2, he puts man and woman, he puts Adam and Eve in this garden that he created and, and everything in Genesis 1 and 2 is just thriving. It's bustling with life and beauty and God and joy. And I want us to notice what the serpent, what Satan does. Man, in the midst of, of, of life and beauty and God with his people, the enemy goes and finds Eve. And he asked her this question, and, and, and we're gonna really dig into some of his questions and his words. We're gonna look at our opponent, we're gonna look at his schemes, but this is what he asked her. He says, did God really say to you that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And what's important for us to know is, is that is not what God had said. You go back and you read Genesis chapter two, verse 16, just a chapter earlier, and this is what God had said. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from this one tree, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And did you see that the, the subtle thing that the enemy does there? He twists, um, he, he distorts, he is, he is trying to confuse Eve, trying to get her to second guess what she heard, what she knew, he's trying to get in her head. And I love, man, I love how Eve responds. Verses two and three, this is what she says. The woman, Eve, said to the serpent, said to Satan, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree, from the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And I love this. Did you, did you catch this detail of what she does here? It's so beautiful, it's so profound, is that she recalls what God had said. And she retells it. And I think we miss this detail so often, but I want you to see this, that she remembered what God had said and she spoke it. Keeps Keep going in verse four and five. This is what the enemy says. This is what our opponent says. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and even I want us to look at what he does, not just what he says, but, but what he's doing, what he's trying to, to do. And so look at the things that he says to her. He says, you will not die. It's this direct contradiction to what God had said. Um, he, he says to Eve, your eyes will be open. And notice what he's doing below the surface. He's, he's saying to her that there are things in life, Eve, that you are not seeing, that there are things in life that you are not enjoying. And this last one, man, the, the dagger, you will be like God. And here's what he's saying to her. You don't have to listen to God. You don't have to serve God. You can be your own God. That you can set your own rules, that you can define your own truth. And I was digging into these, these few verses this week and what I realized, man, is that, is that he, that the enemy that Satan is trying to convince Eve, that God is withholding something from her. Um, he, he's trying to, to, to stir up this, this curiosity about the only thing that God said she couldn't have. See, he's at, at the bottom of all this. What the enemy is doing is he is t attempting to disrupt and to erode the trust that she has in God. The trust in her heart that, that God is good, um, that God is out for her good. And it's important for us to see this, guys. It's important for us to, to remember this, to retain this, to write this down, because this is what he did to Adam and Eve, and this is what Satan continues to do today. 
man, that, that, that the enemy continues to contradict what God has said. Um, that the enemy, he tries to convince us that, that the commands of God, that the words of God are oppressive. He tries to convince us that God is withholding good things from us. He tries to convince us that you and I should be our own God. That we should gratify every desire, that we should do as we play, as we please, that we should call the own shots in our lives. And see, think about how this works in our lives. Man, and, and each of us experience is different, but I want us to notice, I'm gonna to try to point out some of the schemes, some of the ways that, that he has worked, man, that he'll come to us and he'll say things like this, man. Did God really say that any sexual activity outside of, of the marriage covenant between one man and one woman is sin and it leads to death? Did God really say that? And he'll say things like this, man. He'll get us to, to question. He'll get us to wonder. And he'll say things like, man, that's so primitive. God's withholding from you. Do you realize that, that engaging, that there's pleasure. And, and if you just give a little, man, God's not gonna care. He knows that you're stepping into covenant pretty soon, that you're engaged. He knows that, that you really care about this girl and so it's not that big of a deal. And he tries to convince us that God is withholding from us. You know, um, he'll, he'll do things like this, man, where he'll, he'll come to us and he'll, he'll say, man, did God really say that you have to forgive your enemies? Those people who hurt you? Who wrong you? No, you don't. It'll come along and he'll question us, man, but, but, but who is gonna make sure they get what they deserve if you don't? Who's gonna keep an eye on them to make sure they don't thrive, but to make sure they get squashed, to make sure they get what they deserve? You don't have to let it go. Hold on to that grudge. Or he'll say things like this, man, did God really tell you that, that you need to deny yourself? That you need to be generous to the poor, that you shouldn't store up for yourself treasures on earth? You don't have to do that. Man, you've earned it. You work really hard. You buy yourself whatever you want. See, what I realized is, is that this, this tree in the story that the tree of, of knowledge of, of good and evil is, is ultimately this declaration that, that God is telling Adam and Eve, I just want you to trust me. You see, and this is what the commands of God are. They're, that they are, it's this, it's this tree that he says, I just want you to trust me, to trust that, that I'm your loving father, that every boundary I set up for you is actually for your good. That everything I put in place is for your thriving. I want you to trust that I am not withholding any good thing from you. I want you to trust that I'm here to lead you and to love you and to protect you. And guys, when we start to see the commands of God as restrictive, as, as God depriving us, man, the enemy is working. When we, when we forget that, that it's our loving Father who's doing things to protect us because he wants us to trust him, that we don't see everything and understand everything, but he's inviting us to this relationship where, where it's defined by trust. What relationship thrives that doesn't have trust? And God knows this. He wants trust. In verse six, look what Eve does. Look what Adam does. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And, and what Adam and Eve do, man, this is so heartbreaking and it's so easy to just condemn them and look down on them, we do this too, every single one of us. 
we disobey, but really what we're doing is we're proving ultimately that we do not trust God. And that's what sin boils down to, man, that, that we don't believe that God has our best interest in mind. That, 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 that we think that, that, that we should be able to take hold of whatever it is that we want, that we should take our life into our hands, that what it boils down to is that we want to be God. We don't want to serve God. And the enemy knows this, y'all. Man, he, he plays on this. He even stirs this up in us. And so part of today, the reason that we're looking at our opponent is so that we can have a, the, the recognition to see his activity around us. And so guys, this week or the next month or this next year, I want you to pay attention, man, when you find yourself fantasizing or wanting to do something that you know is contrary to what God has spoken, Satan is working. And whenever you start to doubt God's goodness, whenever you start to believe that God is withholding good from you, the enemy's here at work. Or whenever you have a desire to do things your way, when you ever desire to, for you to be God instead of to serve God, the enemy is working. You know, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, our brother Peter says this, that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, he doesn't say like a little kitty cat, like a, you know, this, he's like a, a, the king of the jungle. And he wants us to understand that this is real, guys, that, that the things I'm talking about here, it's not just a figment of imagination, that there's an enemy who is looking to devour you. His activity is all around you. And part of today is that we would recognize his activity around us, but it's not that we would just recognize the activity around us. The second reason that we're studying our opponent, that we're watching this film today, is that so we are prepared to resist him. So that we are prepared to resist him. You know, um, I, I, the Lord was just stirring in me this week that, that he wants us as his sons and his daughters to walk with confidence that although the enemy is walking around as a roaring lion, for that not to intimidate us. For us to be people who walk with confidence. Here's what I mean. A couple weeks ago, um, I got to go up with my son Jones, and, and we left it around lunchtime, and we drove up to Paducah, Kentucky, where my, my nephew lives. And um, he had a basketball that game night. It's been so many years since I've been able to see him play, and so we got to just to drive up and watch him play. And so I get there a little early. I'm hanging out with my sister and my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law just starts talking to me about my nephew. And, you know, he's, he's 15 years old, about to turn 16, and he's talking about his basketball game. And, 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 and he's going, yeah, you know what? He's, Caden is a, is a good basketball player, but he's, he's so shy. He's so, he lacks confidence out there that, that he, he passes the ball instead of shooting it. And he's a great shooter, but he just, he, 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 he won't take the shot. And so, you know, later that afternoon, before the game, I call my nephew aside, Caden, and I told him, hey, man, so excited to be here. You need to know, I drove two and a half hours not to watch you pass the ball. <laughs> shoot the ball tonight. Like, I want to see you shoot the ball. And he's like, yeah, I got it. Okay. And so we, we get to the game, and, and I'm watching him play. And one of the things that I notice is that, that he just he doesn't have the confidence out there. That every time he gets the ball and he has an open shot, man, he'll pass it to someone else. or man, And, and he's just kind of timid out there. And as I was watching him play, I'm going, he has no reason to be that way. You know, he got two shots. He took two shots, and he hit both of them. And I'm going, man, what he needs is this confidence that he can come through, that he can do it, that, that he can hit the shot. And, and the Lord was just reminding me that, that all throughout Scripture, he just, he's speaking these words of confidence over us. And so you see this in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, our, the, the beloved disciple, John. And, and this is what he says to us. He says, greater is he who is in you 
than he who's in the world. Stronger is he who is in you, Christian, follower of Jesus, than he who's in the world. Or I love what, what, what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except for what is common to us all. And God is faithful. When you're being tempted, he will make a way for you to come out of that temptation. And the Lord was just reminding me that though we have an enemy who's out to get us like a roaring lion for us to walk in confidence in who we are, but not just this confidence, that we would walk with clarity. You know, that, that when the enemy comes, that we would recognize what he's doing. Guys, that how often do we have these moments where, where thoughts come into our minds or, or things come into our heads and, 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 and it's the enemy? Man, he's trying to discourage us. He's trying to speak against our identity. He's trying to tempt us into something. And, and, and I love that you see this in, in 1 Peter chapter 5. Our brother Peter says, when the enemy comes, resist him. Or you see it from James, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 5, verse 7, where he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And guys, we can do this. I was thinking about some of the ways that the enemy does this in my life. You know, I think about our, our offices. We're positioned kind of on, on, on we're not kind of on 8th Avenue. We're definitely on 8th Avenue. And, <laughs> and there are lots of people that, that come running, lots of, of girls that come running by our office. And so often you'll see a girl just out of the corner of your eye running, and I'll feel the enemy. I'll hear the enemy's voice. Just look at her. Take a second glance. And it's so amazing the way that the Holy Spirit will come and he'll slow my thinking down. He'll speak and he'll go, now, now think about this. What do you want to do here? What happens if you look? You know, what, what happens? What does that do to your marriage? What does that do to your connection with, with God? And in those moments that, that I'll, I'll turn to the scripture and I'll think about the, the, the words where, where, where we're told to don't look lustfully after a woman. Or I'm reminded of, of God's idea that one man and one woman being faithful fully to each other. And God gives us a strength in those moments to turn our head. Or I think about moments in, 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 where we're presented with an opportunity to help somebody in need. Think about this that happened for us back in December that this we became aware of this need. And my wife is just so generous, man. She just loves to take care of people. And she's like, we got to take care about this. And my first thought so often when I see a need is, but what's that, what is that going to mean for us? And, and it's, it's in those moments where the Lord is going, man, it's better to give than to receive. You see, I love what Eve does here in the scripture in Genesis chapter two or chapter three, verses um, two and three. It's the same thing that Jesus does, that, that when the enemy comes, they draw on scripture. In Matthew chapter four, when the enemy comes to distort and to twist and to try to lead you away from God, it's people who are anchored in the scriptures that we know the scriptures, we know what God has said. And that's the way that we resist him. That's the way we, we learn from, from Eve and from Jesus to resist him is that we recall the things that he said. And so whenever the enemy comes after us to bait us, to attack us, we go, man, what does God say? What does God say? And some of you go, man, I don't know what God has said. It's my encouragement, man, to be in the word of God. I love what we're doing right now that we have a daily reading guide that every morning, Monday through, you know, Monday through Saturday, Monday through, yeah, every day of the week, Monday through Sunday, that, that there's a, a reading plan. And then Monday through Friday, we're praying together. And it's so beautiful. This is a great way for you to become familiar with some of the words and the heart of God. And so I encourage you to jump in with us. And I'm going, guys, that part of the way that, that we resist the enemy 
is by knowing the words of God. And so we're studying our opponent today to recognize his activity. We're studying our opponent so we are prepared to resist him. And I love this, this last idea that we're going to be looking at. And, and this is all about the promise, the hope-filled promise. We spent enough time looking at the hate-filled enemy. This is a third point, that we're setting our opponent because ultimately Jesus will defeat him. Jesus is going to crush him. And so just like Adam and Eve, man, when we cross the bounds which God has set for us, man, we experience what they did, which is guilt. Look with me at verse 7. It says, after they took the fruit, verse 7, the, the eyes of Adam and Eve were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And I want us to see this, what happens when, when sin enters the picture, man, that, that, that the man and the woman, they start hiding from each other. That up until this point in their life, man, they were naked, they had no shame, and there was something that, that sin brought into the world where they realized that they couldn't be themselves in front of each other. That from this point forward, man, that, that humanity learned that we have to hide from each other, that we have to control what other people see. And we've been living this fear ever since that, man, if they see me, they'll reject me. And so, man, they sew these fig leaves together, but we do that too. We hide from each other. We hide parts of our story, hearts of our parts of our past, because we think, man, if people knew me, they would reject me. They hide, from God. they hide from each other. Man, they hide from God. And I go, we all do this. We all hide from God. Man, we, we sin and we go, man, there's no way that God could love me, that God could want to walk in friendship with me after what I've done. And our sin, it drives us into hiding. It, hides, it makes us hide from each other. It makes us hide from God. And I love this line from Tim Keller that he kind of points out in this passage of Scripture, that, that it's in human's nature, that it's our nature to hide, and it's God's nature to seek. Man, that when sin comes, that, that we retreat and we hide and we try to cover up. And I love the picture of God in the midst of sin. It's not that he didn't know that they sinned. He goes looking for his kids. It's beautiful, guys. And I love what he does because, because he, he, he asks them questions. He draws them out of hiding. And he invites them to simply own what they've done. And this is what the Lord does with us too, guys. In the midst of our sin, he comes to us and it's like, what, what have you done? He's not trying to condemn us. He's not trying to crush us. He's trying to bring us out of hiding to own the things that we've done. And the reality is that for Adam and Eve, there were consequences for what they did. You can read about these. We're not going to dig into these in verses 16 through 19. But the, the consequence I want to hone in on today is that they had to leave the garden. They had to leave the garden. The Garden of Eden, which was, which was known for its goodness. The garden, which was known for its fruitfulness and its purity. And the, it was a place where God walked unhindered with man and woman. This place that was marked with trust and with friendship and with love. That This place that man and woman lived in and cared for a good creation. And they had to leave. Guys, and in the midst of, of them having to leave the garden, I love this. Because what you see is that God already had a plan to get them back into the garden. 
But first, he has to deal with Satan. He has to deal with the enemy. So in verses 14 and 15, this is what the Lord said to the serpent, to Satan. He says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is so beautiful. You know, scholars, people who are way smarter than me, this this is actually called the the Proto-Evangelion or the Proto-Evangelion. It's, it's the first, it's come from two Greek words, Protos first and Evangelion, the gospel. And what it is, it's, it's this announcement from the very beginning when sin comes in the world and Satan distorts and deceives that God already has a plan how to take care of it. And he looks at the enemy, just picture this moment where God looks at Satan and he says, you're gonna strike this man, but he's gonna crush your head. And what you discover as you get into the story is that, is that this man is not just any man, it's Jesus. And you see, thousands of years later, Jesus will, will crawl up on a cross and he will die for the sins of humanity. And it's in that moment that, that part of this comes true, that, that you'll strike his heel, that, that Satan strikes the, the Lord. He thinks that our sin has, has separated us forever from him. And he strikes the Lord when Christ is crucified. He strikes his heel. Three days later, Christ rises from the dead, triumphs over our sin. He triumphs over death forever. And I love this picture because in, in, in this, what we see is that God promises you're gonna strike him, but he's gonna crush you. And the reality is that, that when Christ was crucified, the enemy wasn't crushed. And you're like, wait a minute, you're a heretic, Brandon. Maybe so, let's talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, the enemy, man, he, he was struck a fatal blow. But we go, man, has the enemy, real, has Satan really been crushed? Look at the world around us. You know, on Thursday, our, our staff, we, we pray for different nations. Every Thursday morning, we pray for a different nation around the world. And this morning, we were praying for Uganda. And I was struck by how many kids in, in Uganda, man, that they were, they were children's soldiers. They were child soldiers. How many kids were sold into sex slavery? And, and as we've been praying for the nations, what I've realized is that, man, it's all over the world that these, that these huge, just brokenness, these schemes of enemy, this darkness, it is pervasive. It's all over our world. And I go, guys, be honest with yourself. As you look at the world, has the enemy been crushed? No, he hasn't been crushed. He's still active. And as much as we can resist him, Guys, we need someone stronger who can squash him. If I told you, like if I told us, hey, our assignment this week as a church, read your Bible, pray, destroy Satan. <laughs> you wouldn't know how, we, we literally, it's an impossible assignment. First of all, couldn't find him. Where do you even begin? It's this impossible task. He's, 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 Big. His, his schemes are big and elaborate and, and dark. And, and what we need is, is, is we get to resist him in this life. But we know that one day Christ is going to come and the one who is stronger than us, the one who is stronger than the enemy, will crush him. I was thinking about when I was in fifth grade, me and one of my best friends, Greg. He had two older brothers. Tony was in eighth grade and his oldest brother, Mitch, was a junior in high school. 
They both played football, all of us played football. And so on Friday nights, we would load up, sorry for all the football and uh, just sports analogies. I'll try to do better next time I preach, come up with something different. Um, but but we, we load up the car every Friday night with, with Greg's parents and we would go to wherever Mitch was playing, the high school game. And so we would go and we would watch these games. And I remember this one game in particular, we were playing this team. And, and, and Greg and I, we love to watch some of the game, but what we really love to do is to go behind the bleachers and throw the ball and play football ourselves. And so I remember, you know, we, we watched, you know, some of the game and then we went behind the bleachers, we were playing football and these bigger kids came up and, and they took our ball from us. <laughs> and, and, you know, we we're like, okay, well, I guess that's the end of that. Like, we're not, our ball, our ball is gone. So we, you know, kind of walked back to the bleachers with our, you know, kind of defeated, like, well, I guess, you know, that's, that's the end of that story. And so we, we go back and we sit down and Tony and his friends, Greg's, you know, middle brother, he looks at us and he's like, hey, where's the ball? Or like, some guy stole it from us. <laughs> and and I wish you could have seen the expression on their faces because it was like this, you know, this protective brother, this idea that, you know, hey, I can pick on my brother and his friends, but no one else can. Like, and if you pick on him, it's not okay. And so I'm not gonna go into details about what happened, but I will tell you that they got the ball back. And <laughs> and and it was just this moment where you realize, man, that you you step into to opportunities, you step into things in life where you just need someone who is bigger and someone who is stronger to come in and do what you can't do. And I love Romans chapter 16, what Paul says to the church in Rome, what Paul says to us, that the God of peace, he is soon gonna crush Satan under your feet. I love Revelation chapter 20, where the Lord shows us how all this is going to end. This is what Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 says, the devil was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. He was hurled into the lake where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I go, guys, you don't hurl someone that's bigger than you, that's stronger than you. You hurl something that is so much smaller than you. And the Lord is wanting us to understand that one day, the one who is behind all of the, the sowing seeds of distrust and the one who is sowing shame and fear, the one who is deceiving us and accusing us and lying to us, that there will be a day where Jesus Christ himself will crush the enemy. And when Christ crushes him, and we'll experience life in the garden, the fruitfulness and the joy and the harmony and the trust and the love. And God will deal with the enemy, but he also has to deal with us. And, and I wish I had more time to deal with this, but I'll just say this. And guys, it's so much more than a, a sin issue. It's a trust issue. And God is wanting to restore in us to trust. And so you gotta understand this. God's offer to us, every single one of us, walk with me, trust me, let me be God, you be you, you serve me, you be my son and my daughter, and all of us made the choice. We keep making the choice. We don't want you to be God, we'll be God. We wanna do things our own way, and so we say, God, you get off the throne, we'll get on the throne, and so God lets us do that. He lets us make the choices of our lives, and what happens is we make messes of our lives. We forever cut ourselves off from God. That's what sin is. We separate ourselves from God. And we can't just go back. We can't just pretend like it didn't happen. There's something real, significant, eternal that happens. We cut ourselves off from God. And the beautiful part about Jesus is that Jesus steps in and on the cross he says, I will be cut off so that you can come back. I will be cut off so you can come home. And when you believe that, when you believe that that's the kind of God I am, this trust swells in our heart. This love swells in our heart that we go, God, we're sorry. We repent, we want you to be on the throne. We've tried things our own way. We don't know how to rule. We don't know how to squash the enemy. We trust you, we yield to you. And, and so my invitation for us today, guys, is, is let's be a people. Man, let's, let's be a people that, that, ride, that raise up and that teach the next generations after us how to resist the enemy. 
how to be aware of his activity, how to resist him, and how to be a people that live and that preach with the assurance that Jesus will crush him. So here in just a minute, we're gonna take communion. I'm so excited for us to, to dive into this. It's an opportunity for us to come out of hiding. And now here's what I'm gonna do. We're gonna, I'm gonna pray for us, and then this, we're gonna throw the communion slide up, and then um, I want you just to read over the questions. And they might make you a little nervous, and that's okay. I think God has some good things in store for us. I want you to meditate on the questions, and then Will is gonna call us out of that into a time of worship. And then after his worship, man, we're gonna be sent back to really dive into those questions. And so let me pray for us. And so, Father, thank you. And thank you for your word. I feel like I talked for a long time, God, and I just pray, God, that you would allow these words to soak down into our hearts, and that the truth of who you are would fill us, that, 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 God, we would live with this confidence, this awareness, this clarity of who you are. Thank you for our church family. Make us strong. Uh, make us into a generation that, that looks to you and that longs for you, Jesus, to come and crush the enemy. We look to you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.